The following is a conversation with Richard Pariser, a piano teacher, a graduate of entertainment management, and the keyboardist for the pop and synth rock band Robot Nature. Richard talks about the importance of music theory for pop artists, music as a language, going across the country, his band, fostering relationships with industry contacts, and his definition of talent. For those just tuning in to Pepe and Ibra for the first time, I'm Pepe, a.k.a. Joanna Glass, and Ibra, a.k.a. A. Perez, is my bandmate, and we are professional musicians who play in a two-piece rock band called Glass Spirits. This podcast will have guests who are musicians or professionals in the music and entertainment business. They'll have music tips, discuss issues in the music industry, what inspires them, and their creative process. Our current schedule will be to publish each episode every week. We have all the episodes filmed and in the can, so you'll definitely get 12 episodes, one episode a week. Uh, If we get a positive response, we'll have a second season, so make sure you like, comment, rate, and review this podcast. The theme of this season is Voyager. Many of our guests have come from all over the world or the transplants from across the country. And the voyage doesn't have to be a physical one. Many of the voyages are emotional and spiritual as well. We'll also put timestamps in the description and add show notes. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe on YouTube, give it five stars, and leave a good review on Apple Podcast. Support us on Patreon and connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or our website, pepeandibra.com. Now, without further ado, here is our conversation with Richard Pariser. This is another episode of Pepe and Ibra. I'm really excited about our next guest. He is the keyboardist of this amazing band. They're going to be exploding all over the place. They're called Robot Nature. And our guest is Richard Pariser. And um, well, first of all, before we invite him in and uh, get his story, I just want to provide some context. I was on Facebook scrolling. Um, I love checking out awesome bands and I saw this video and I heard violin and it sounded amazing and I basically saw this band with this violinist just playing this amazing tune and I was entranced and I was like this is amazing I immediately shared it with my bandmate Abe Perez of our band Glass Spirits and I was like and he was like yeah they kick ass and and so I found them on social media. I added all the members right away. <laughs> and uh, whenever our band had something like a video or any other kind of content, I'd share it. And Richard, who I have with me here, he's commented back, took the time to do that and said some very specific, nice things about our band. And I was just like, man, you know, these guys are so nice, too. And now that we have uh, Abe and I have this podcast, I'm like, OK, he's got to be like one of the first people I have to invite because he's just so nice and friendly. And here he is, Richard Pariser. Hi, Richard. Hey, Joanna. Well, you know, first and foremost, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Appreciate you thinking of me, thinking of us. Um, 
And, you know, thank you again for, you know, being a fan and, you know, and likewise from fan to fan as well. <laughs> and um, it's amazing to see and hear people like yourself that you really don't even know. And then all of a sudden you get to know them because they appreciate what you're doing musically, which is, I think, why, you know, so many of us are on this journey. Because it's like, not only, you know, I don't know about you, but for me, I have to do this. I have to do music. It's, it's very much been instilled in my bloodline since I was very, very young. But at the end of the day, it's so rewarding to see and hear from people like yourself, you know, that just tuned in and out of nowhere, you know, that's some of the most, I think, the reason why we do this, right, Joanna? <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, you know, and it's not just in terms of like, oh, let's just be nice to everyone because you don't want to burn bridges or opportunities. And it's just like, I, uh, the older I get, it's, I just love the idea of community and then just like musical friends getting together and supporting each other, you know, and just Absolutely. going to each other's shows or playing shows together. I mean, that's, you know, how, how I feel. Not everything needs to be this cutthroat competition that people try to try to make things out to be like in the media with other bands. But, um, you know, I also love that you play keyboards and um, because I also play keyboards in my band. Oh, there, there we go. <laughs> and because, um, when I notice when I see other rock bands live and they have a keyboardist and it's like man turn the keyboards up it's like it's like the sound engineers like a guitarist or a drummer or something so <laughs> there might be bias there and yeah. um yeah I just you know you have such an amazing story the um theme of the this podcast season is called Voyager because I'm finding from doing research a lot of our guests are you know um immigrants or however you want to call it they just or transplants too and so um yeah i please uh, if you don't mind tell us your story and you know how you started back in Maryland sure yeah well you just named it uh, i was born and raised in Maryland and um as I mentioned just a moment ago, music really was a part of my my bloodline in a way. Not only bloodline, but you know, my mom played, but she she played in a different way. She didn't play professionally or anything. She just kind of took lessons growing up, and she would go on the piano every now and then and show me what it was like to actually be experimentative, to be creative. Mm -hmm. But um, but basically, my mother noticed me go on this play school piano that she got my brother, my older brother, that is, when I was. Um, about two years old, that I would I would be very you know experimented. I would be you know pushing one key at a time. She described yeah. to me. She noticed that and immediately took me into a program, a Suzuki program, if you're familiar with it. And yeah, that's kind of how it all started. It was about three years old, and in that Suzuki program, it was just rhythmic exercises and you know just subtleties on a, on a keyboard or things like that. Of course, I really don't remember <laughs> that part of it. But it wasn't until about six and a half, seven years old, I actually, you know, started taking private lessons. And that's that's when things started to change. And I had an interesting um, sort of, I think, introduction to lessons. I actually said private lessons, but let me correct myself. It was actually a group class. The very first experience I had with piano or keyboarding was a group class um, that my mom brought me to. But then I started taking private lessons when I was right about eight years old or seven and a half or so. And that's when things did start to change for me even better or even greater because 
I had an amazing, amazing, and I'll call him a mentor, but private piano teacher that just really embraced all musical aspects. It wasn't one of those kind of teachers that was, you know, slap the wrist, uh, we'll yeah. play classical music. It was all of the above. He really channeled the student and what that student or what he saw in that student. And he also noticed one other big thing, which I don't know that, you know, I, I thought everyone did it at the time, but mm. I, apparently I was wrong. Um, he noticed that I wouldn't stay on the page. I'd mm. go off the page, meaning like I had to be creative with the song. Some For some reason, I felt like I could do things that weren't necessarily notationally there. You know what I mean? And I didn't realize what I was doing, but I was embracing the science of music. And I saw one of your questions later on. I think it mentioned about music theory. We'll get we'll get to that later. But anyways, um, so yeah, so music started for me at that age, and I, you know, I just fell in love. You see the saxophone in the background. That was mm -hmm. a big part of my past too. My parents had to ask me to stop practicing. <laughs> they really did. I mean, because they were watching a show and they were like, "Rich, you just were playing, you know, a half hour before this." And I was like, "Well, I want to go do this thing I just thought." Oh, of. that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> but it was great. No, they were so encouraging, though. I got yeah. my parents are, you know, certainly role models, and they always encouraged me to do the things I love, and that's, you know. But then I started to get more serious about it. I would say, actually, come the end of high school. Um, and that is that we have a, my, I, I was pretty lucky. My high school was pretty musically involved and inclined in the state. Uh, we had definitely one of the best, better music programs. Um, and it is partly due to the fact that we had this incredible show that we put on called Rock and Roll Revival. It was Rock and Roll Revival, meaning we, we kind of revived old rock tunes, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. From dating back to the 60s or even the 50s and then 70s and 80s. And at that point, we were kind of in the 90s and or later 90s. So it, was, nice. it wasn't so much 90s. But, you know, <laughs> definitely things from the 80s, 70s and 60s, um, we were reviving old sort of tunes and whatnot. But part of that, so now going back to what I was saying, the students kind of had the power as a keyboardist, it was one of our jobs to put the charts in front of the rest of the musicians. Because keyboardists kind of, they had that theory background typically, and sometimes guitarists, sometimes drummers too. But, um, but it was our job to put together the charts for the band now, for, for the band to play, you know what I mean? And that included chord charts for that. Oh, wow. You know, kind of referring so to. you're arranging right away. So I was, I didn't realize I was arranging the truth. <laughs> and I put it together because, you know, you kind of had to do those things with, our, with your ear. Um, so that taught me to play with a band. That taught me to arrange, like you said, um, and, and the importance of the arrangement or the importance of how to arrange and what that is sort of scientifically, musically. And after that show, I started to get the music feeling of like, maybe I should do this professionally but I still didn't actually try to forego music professionally at that point. I um, went to school right into the engineering program, studying undefined engineering at that point or undecided engineering at that point. And eventually I would, um, because 9-11 was right my, from my freshman year of college. Um, whoops, I just dropped my age, I guess. <laughs> All good. <laughs> but uh, my uh, freshman year of college was 9-11 and that was a big deal, uh, of course, especially on the East Coast, I think all around the nation really. And because of that, um, I went, to fire, went into fire protection engineering which was very interesting at the time. But it was two years into college that I realized, wait, you know, I'm, I'm in the wrong spot. You know, mm. I, I love music. This is what I want to do. So 
that's where, you know, it was come sophomore year of college that I realized I switched over to music or really entertainment management because it was almost too late to join a technical music program at that point, unless I wanted to go to school for another five years or so. And I <laughs> kind of didn't. I wanted my degree and get out. And I kind of had this vision. I, I wanted to come to L.A. I drove out to L.A. literally right after uh, college, about one year after college. I, I was teaching piano, so I, I uh, saved up a bit. And I drove out to LA with my cousin. Actually, he joined me, thankfully. Um, <laughs> and and we did it. We just we, when I say drive out, I mean we we got in my uh, Hyundai Accent at the time. Barely got up the road when we were on, in Colorado. I don't know if you ever driven in Colorado, but I had my keyboard in the back and mm -hmm. suitcases and you know my whole life with me at that point. And we were like, you know full throttle you know going up those colorado hills at 35 miles an hour and trucks were passing me at that point i'll never remember i'll always remember that part of the uh, but you talk about voyaging and that that was actually a voyage you know for me i, I literally spent mm -hmm. three days or two nights three days traveling across the country with that music music bone and knowing i was gonna end up in la you know uh, you just mentioned, you know, being in school and, and theory a little bit. And I'll just provide like a little background on myself because I did go to a music conservatory for college. It wasn't a conservatory at the time. It later became one for violent performance. And it was kind of geared to like eventually get you to audition for an orchestra. And one year into it, I just I was like, man, there's all these methods and theory classes. I just felt and I just had this other side of me that was into music programming like synth programming and composition and that I found more fulfilling at that time and then you know and I was at the school and I was like man I just don't see the application right now and I was you know like 18 and I was very impatient you know this doesn't apply to me whatever I just and I, I dropped out and then like I regretted it. And then my family was like, why did you drop out of college? And and then I like I, I re-enrolled and then and then I was like, OK, oh. yeah, I sh I need to like listen to myself. And I dropped out again. <laughs> and, but then like I but then I enrolled into like a different program that was like religious studies. It's one year so I can just get that degree and no one will yell at me or whatever. But um, I know at that time I just had this fire that I was like not putting my energy in the right place. Mm -hmm. But now I'm in my 30s, I'm older and I look back and I was like, you know, yes, time is very important, um, especially in the entertainment industry, like youth is considered to be a commodity. It was just like, man, if I just took that one year to like bunker down, learn some theory, it, it's then it would have been just like a tool today. So now that you have been teaching piano, what are your thoughts um, or messages to students who are so eager, who, who want to disregard theory or or just anything. What are what are you? What are your thoughts? <laughs> sure, sure. And, and just to relate real fast, uh, <laughs> I can relate to the dropout story because at that point I mentioned uh, when I was switching, I actually wanted to drop. I told my parents I want to drop and I want to go out to LA. That's what I want to do. I know I want to do music, you know. But they encouraged me. They said, "Why don't you? You know, it's it's a full ride. You you don't you're not mm. spending money. You know, just just do it and." Um, yeah and finish it because you, you probably won't regret it. And I was only a couple of years away at that point as is, but I can relate to the uh, feeling of, of yeah. like, hmm, where do I go? Should I drop? I, I really, I wanted to, I really did. But anyways, yes. um, going into the question. Um, mm -hmm. So 
you're talking music theory. Now, I, I uh, like you mentioned, I'm a piano teacher as well. Um, I was very fortunate when I was pretty young, um, right before college, I, actually right during college, I had a close friend of the family ask me to teach their children. Now I'd never done it before. Mm. And I said, hey, I, I don't know what I'm doing. You know what I mean? They said, well, I think you'll figure it out. We love the way you play and we, we just really like you. And I think you should give it a shot. So I didn't realize they were really trying to encourage me to, to do this. You know, they kind of probably saw it in me. Um, and that's when it started. And some of those students have gone on to graduate, ironically, from Stanford and UCLA. Those my very first oh, two nice. students, um, <laughs> both in California. It's funny enough. And actually, one of them did pursue music in the end, which I really think is amazing. Oh, it's awesome. one, of the, one of the greatest, uh, you know, reasons uh, why I think I do this, why I even teach still, because passing on and, you know, paying it forward is so, so mm. rewarding and so important to me. But anyways, um, talking about theory, I think it matters to the individual. I mean, I have kind of, I, I could break this down to two, I think, answers. I'll go into the one immediate answer, which I don't necessarily agree with, which is, which I kind of learned later, especially playing with a lot of guitarists, they don't necessarily know music theory. It's all by ear. You know, it's all, it's all like, I, I love communicating music theory. I can't argue how important it is that it's a language and I think everyone should learn it, especially mm -hmm. if they're passionate about music, but yeah. not everyone does. And um, I don't want to name any names necessarily, but I, I work closely to individuals that just really don't believe in music theory in a way, meaning they don't want to learn it. They, they think it'll cloud their creativity. And I have an argument against that, but I respect their decision on that. I respect that, that yes, it, you know, learning theory can kind of, you might feel, you might feel like you get put into a box or put yourself into a box that can't go outside of it. You can't be creative, you can't do something new, if you will. But I don't think we're trying to reinvent the real here. You know, with music theory, I think there is a science spot, no. I should say, and, I, and you can argue with me if you want. I know there is a science to music. I know that there is this sort of under, under this realization of what I refer to as like the musical formula. Um, and I don't want to get into this argument of, or this debate on, you know, you can't put a formula in music because in some ways that's true. You can't, you can't just put a formula on creativity. But what you can do is you can definitely put a formula on the basic foundations or the basic let's say skeleton and you know the what makes it a piece of music even going into any genre classical jazz i mean might even argue minimalism too as well but but certainly pop music fits in this all all sides of pop music whether even reggae with all the branches all the genres as well they all kind of follow this pretty simple concept and that is that music is built of two two parts really and technically a third, but I'll, I'll, I'll throw the two important parts, a chord progression and a melody, a melody that fits on top of that, or let's say um, is accompanied by that chord progression. And we can refer to the chord progression as an arrangement, right? And those two requirements are what is needed, like the bare minimum to have a song copyrighted. So exactly. That, you're right. Not only is it the science, but you're right. But actually, you know, what's interesting? Well, it depends on the copyright, but you're absolutely right. Right, right, right. <laughs> I'm on the side of arrangement matters a lot too, but mm. technically there are two sides of copyright, but when it comes to a song, like a pop song, for example, in a court of law, it's it's lyrics, 
which that is copyrightable, too. and then of course the melody of those lyrics. Those are the two unique properties of any given song, and the rest is free domain. You know, and that's kind of sad, actually. That's a whole other conversation, I'm sure. Or <laughs> yeah. steers into a whole other conversation. And I only say that's kind of sad because I think arrangers sometimes get the bottom end of it. You know what I mean? They don't get the credit that they deserve, mm -hmm. you know? Because I think it really starts with how you might arrange something or how you might put a chord progression together. Because it's not even just the simplicity of a chord progression. It's also the dynamics, the articulation, the timing, everything matters. And that's the third part. I, I mentioned that there was two parts to the, the formula, but the, the, the unannounced third part is the fact that everything fits into a rhythm. You know what I mean? Everything mm. kind of has a rhythmic um, structure to it. And that is also what truly makes, I think, a song unique um, and then leads into a conversation like a motive, um, which, you know, is very much a classical term or at least stemmed from that. But that's, you know, that's, that's why a, a classical piece or any piece of music could have the same progression. I know we all have heard about the, the progression of a thousand uh, that creates one progression that creates a thousand different songs. And the reason why that's even possible and sometimes we can't even realize that that we you know don't realize that it's the same progression is because of that rhythmic differences you know those rhythmic differences the, the part that really makes it unique for each song but the overall argument is is in a simple answer music theory matters to me mm -hmm. it matters it's it's it drove me early on before i knew what it was before i started to understand it as a science like i mentioned and yeah. then then realizing later on that oh i can take this and use it as as a um as a tool to help me arrange and write and ultimately, yeah. you know, put things together for a band or for, for, you know, also I compose music for film and TV and, you know, any, anything that I'm, I'm being involved with from a project standpoint musically. So I think it really has helped me, you know, and driven me. And like I was saying before, it's a language, you know, there is a language, uh, you know, terminology that we would use to communicate this musical, um, well, I said it already, language. And a lot of people don't, like I was saying a moment ago, it doesn't, a lot of people don't know the language. And it always has been a crutch for me in bands, especially too, working with other musicians, uh, uh, the ones that didn't necessarily take the time to put the labels and whatnot. They don't tell me what they are. And now I'm just relying on my ear, which is okay. And I, and I don't mind it, but I'm actually the kind of player that loves to just Give me, give me, give me one statement about it. Oh, it's in the key of E. Done. Yeah. Now or I can like one, out. four, no five. Like, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> give me that. Well, that's that's even better. You know what I mean? That's <laughs> isolating the information for me. Key of E, one, four, five. Great. Now I know exactly where to put mm -hmm. it. I can immediately isolate yeah. what to expect. You know what I mean? And I could probably figure it out like right in the moment. Whereas if it's not the case, you know, I don't necessarily consider myself to have the best ear by any means. I've met some incredibly, incredibly talented people that just blow me away in that way. But, but at the end of the day it is, um, you know, I don't want to just rely on my ear. I want to be able to rely on everything, the whole, you know, the whole package. And part of that package, whether you like it or not, is music. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> That's amazing. That kind of talk that you just had there. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's you say it's a language and I look back and say, oh, it's a tool and we have a choice on whether we want to use a tool or not. It's like, OK, I can choose to use this, you know, microphone that's thousands of dollars or sometimes I do opt to go for the SM58 because it's 
more appropriate for this punk song I'm recording. Like, whatever, you know? Or 57. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, it's just, it's, I look at it now as a tool. And I wish I could have gone back and just sat my ass down for one year. (laughs) But, you know, you said a couple amazing things. Well, it was all amazing. But I really love, okay, language, that, that you saw it as a language. Like, music theory is another language. And, and and that's I feel like that's what kind of music is about. In the previous session I had with a vocal coach, and I was like, I was giving her like this thought experiment. Okay, you have worked with so many students that want to sing like jazz, rock, mm-hmm. classical, pop, whatever. What is like the one underlying piece of advice you can give to singers all around the world, irregardless of the genre? And she said something that was like at the heart of it, no matter how you're singing or what it is you're singing, make sure you're just you're communicating the message you want to communicate, whatever that message is. And so I just kind of connect that with what you meant about this language, like mu- the, the music itself, the content is is a message and the tools and the theory and the instrumentation that's language as well. So, yeah. yeah. And, um, and also the other thing that you mentioned that you have thoughts about people try or, or can make formulas out of music. I mean, that's essentially what music theory is or observations and practices now just being retaught. And I feel like even nowadays, there's so many music composition formulas and apps for people even in a way Spotify tries to formulate and they analyze thousands tens of thousands of pieces of music and they have their own formula of analyzing your music as soon as you upload it so I just don't know if you had any other thoughts about that especially being in a in a commercial band yeah I mean, I think you kind of touch on the idea that in one hand, we want to be original and we want to be unique, we want to be creative and want to create one of our own, you know, you know, be, be a, you know, like I said, original in, in our own sense. But on the other hand, you kind of touched on uh, Spotify playlisting. It's so important to find a playlist you fit into because it actually could be hard to break through in a way or get your music heard. And I think that's the goal um, in, um, of most musicians. It's hard if you don't fit in a category, if you can't be somewhat um, categorized or put yourself in a sort of specified or you know, genre or even group of genres, you know, fusion of genres. But at the end of the day, it's so important that, um, that we find different characteristics of other music out there that we can see in ourselves as well as, of course, embrace our own originality, our own creativity. But you know, I kind of said it before. I don't think we're. I don't think we should, as musicians, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You date all the way back to some of the the pop. You know, before there was uh, radio and all this and, and discs and everything like that and record players. Um, there was classical music. That was the popular music of the world. That was considered, you know, and a pop music artist back during that time of the, the early 1800s, late mm-hmm. 1700s, you know, mainly, and by the way, the piano was only, you know, the piano was invented in 1700. It's not that old, technically. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but uh, anyways, um, you know, post 1700, um, before that there were harpsichords and things like that. That's all my story. Anyways, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, in that era and then dating into the 1800s, 
the pop artists were classical composers, composers like a Beethoven or a Mozart. And those guys, they were helping to pave the way and invent what we even still do, do to this day. I mean, if you want some good influences, definitely check out some Mozart, definitely check out some Beethoven. And I can definitely go down a whole great list of, of further ones, but those are kind of exactly. the critical names um, that a lot of people know. But, but at the end of the day, I mean, it, it, like I said, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel. You can definitely <laughs> find characteristics, characteristics, I can't say the word, of, um, of your music, certainly from Beethoven, certainly mm -hmm. from Mozart. Um, I know I do. And, and I don't yeah. try to fight it either. I want, you know, I embrace that. I want to see those connections and I want to make those connections. So important. Um, but yeah, going back to it, um, mentioning like Spotify, for example, it's important to be able to find other groups, artists, solo, you know, out there that you can relate to and maybe even collaborate with, you know, mm. that's another conversation I imagine, yeah. but, but yeah, so hopefully that kind of touches on it. <laughs> yeah. Um, great points. And you also mentioned the importance and the influence, the prevailing influence of classical music. I mean, cause so many people are out there like, Oh, it's, you know, boring and it makes me fall asleep or whatever. But I mean, you know, one instance, for example, the melody of Celine Dion's all by yourself is from Rachmaninoff's uh, piano concerto number two. The nice second observation movie. there. Yeah. <laughs> and so, well, someone else pointed that out to me. I was like, Oh yeah. And then <laughs> John Williams or any kind of Marvel or DC, Yes. Um, movie soundtrack that that fits within like the classical music Absolutely. realm so <laughs> yeah it's there's so many applications you know it's like its own medium in itself <laughs> so. and, and john williams got famous off the 145 you mentioned 145 i mean he mm -hmm. really did he got famous off the 145 once again stating the point let's not try to reinvent the wheel, just find unique ways of, of recreating the 145, you know, not to get into the technical side <laughs> of what 145 means, but, but I think, you know what I mean? I mean, John Williams, you know, I can probably whip something out here, but, <laughs> but like, you know, you know, he, you know, some of the, you can actually hear it in his music um, in multiple scores, totally different movies, you know, like Star Wars to Back to the Future. I mean, two totally different movies, two totally different concepts, you can actually find almost exact imitation of the music from the, both of those movies because there's a character behind that. You know, there's a, a kind of a genre behind that. But yes, I would argue that I think um, um, film composition is our current day sort of like classical um, approach or yeah. let's say even classical pop stars, you know, guys like John Williams and so mm. on. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I just love the fact that um, Hans Zimmer played at Coachella that one year. That was... <laughs> Hans Zimmer is another one worth mentioning. He actually, I learned a lot about Hans Zimmer and I respect the man a lot, actually. Um, um, I know some people might argue me on that, but um, the, uh, you know, only because he, he did a couple of things that are also as important with music, collaboration. I mean, he is mm. one of the kings of collaboration. He makes sure that he's collaborating with others or at least utilizing other pieces, other people for work that he doesn't have to just do himself. Um, and he's not really well known, believe it or not, for being a um, arranger or, um, or an orchestrator for that matter. He has a lot of individuals that he works with um, or even works above in a, in a way that, that he, assigns these important parts of putting a movie together 
some people argue he's the best sound designer of all time. Mm. You know what I mean? And that's a really important part of music too, where, yeah. which is basically finding the right place, the right sound for the piece of art, which in his case is a film, a film score attached to a film. Remember, film scores are very visual, right? Yeah. You're supposed to take music and make it visual. And that's mm. not the easiest thing to do, believe it or not. But, uh, but it, it, you know, he's, he does it quite well. I must hand it to him. And then I can probably name a couple others. But that's Yeah, his. I mean, no, I, I know what you mentioned earlier that, you know, some people like to argue who, like, the best film composer is. I mean, like, why just choose one? There's so many good ones out there. And we touched back on this, this theme of competitiveness and community and going to L.A. I know you had your cousin next to you. But did you establish connections beforehand or you just you were just like blindly going or what was, you know, how did that go about and how did you get from moving to L.A. to making your connections that eventually led you to Robot Nature? Okay, so hmm, where do I start? Well, in Maryland, (laughs) I uh, joined a band when I was in college, something I didn't technically mention, but joined my first band. You know, I had good friends of the family that were still in high school and they were in a high school band, uh, high school band. And um, they um, they asked me to be the keyboardist, even though I was already in college at that time. Um, <laughs> and I was I felt um, honored to be even asked. That being the case, I I, um, I said yes. And I learned what it was like to play with others um, outside of that rock and roll revival thing I mentioned about. Mm-hmm. And that really inspired me and said, oh, man, I, I love playing in bands. I love the, you know, the feeling of being on stage, playing for a crowd, no matter how big the crowd was. It could be two people, it could be 10 people, it could be 100,000, whatever. But, um, you know, it was just, it's the rush. I think you can relate to that, Joanna, a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a rush I enjoyed. You know, I really did enjoy performing. Um, it's, it's also a part of, like, kind of who I am as a musician, um, because not all musicians like to perform necessarily. But I'm definitely one of them that that enjoys performing. So I, um, I, after joining my first band, um, great great experience. But I knew I was moving out to LA, like I kind of mentioned before, and and I had um, certainly family as well. Just pull me aside and say, Rich, you know, I really think you should go for it. I think you, I could really hear this stuff in a movie. You know what I mean? And I got that a lot. Every and, and I'm also one of those guys when you see a piano, you just got to jump on it if it's available like if you're allowed to and um <laughs> and when we go to hotels you know and you know i got to travel when i was younger and when we would go out you know wherever we went if there was a piano i had to make sure i played it i didn't have to play the piano but i was a, kind of a young kid you know 14 year old 13 year old playing playing this piano and they would say oh my gosh this is so beautiful what is this and i'd say oh i was just making it up and, and, and they were like oh wow i could really hear that in a movie and i just kept hearing that you know, consistently. And I was like, well, maybe, maybe there is something there. And it just kind of inspired me, like, maybe I should go for it. Maybe I should try to become a film composer. Um, that's what brought me to LA. That was a big inspiration on myself um, to go out to um, LA. And that is to chase the film composition dream. But another reason that brought me to LA um, mm was my cousin, uh, I had a cousin who start, uh, started a big, big sample sound business. He yeah. founded it himself, it was called P5 Audio. And I talked to him before coming out to LA. Actually, I stayed in his house for a couple of weeks before I decided to move out here as well, um, one summer before I moved. And 
he kind of told me, he said, you know, I've got some work that you could definitely take on. Um, I can't guarantee anything. So don't come out with any guarantees. I'm not giving you a full-time job or anything, (laughs) but, um, but I definitely got some things I can introduce, you know, introduce you to. And I I think I can, you know, help you a little bit as well. So that also was another inspiration for me coming out to LA because I was immediately, I had something to do musically, which was create sample sounds for, um, for producers, Mm -hmm. for producers to use like loop sets, if if you're familiar with that sector Mm -hmm. of things. And, um, and or that side of the business and allowed me to be um, a guy who would also pull in other producers. And that was great too, because that opened the door to meet some really cool producers and give them an opportunity if they wanted it to join this company and to do work and get royalties every month for doing nice. so. So I actually got, I actually got to meet some really cool producers, some of which became ultra famous. I'm not going to mention names, but like, okay. uh, <laughs> well, unless you want me to, I guess it doesn't matter, but, uh, oh, but you uh, feel comfortable and they'll well, be okay with it. <laughs> I'll mention one person that really inspired me, uh, going down the route. I, I met him early on. I'm not super friends with him. It was just an acquaintance in the, you know, from doing that marketing angle for producers, um, for my cousin's business. His name is, um, um, Jay White, excuse me, blanking. Um, and Jay White ended up becoming the producer, main producer for Cardi B. So he, you know, he really, you know, it was a very impressive story um, to say the least, but anyways, so yeah, so I got to meet really cool guys and bump elbows with that. So that was a good way to get introduced to California as well. I didn't feel like I was just you know, swimming around blindly. Um, but touching on what you said before, I also knew I needed another aspect. I needed to be in a band. So mm-hmm. I was seeking that. Uh, right when I got out to LA, I was lucky. I met this guy across the street from the first apartment I moved into. Uh, <laughs> and and we just kind of hit it off. He, he, you know, he was a rap, he was a rapper, hip hop, he was into hip hop. And he was, you know, he's very into music. And I was like, oh, I'm a keyboardist. And, you know, we just kind of hit it off. And he happened to know a ton of people. Like he would just, you know, he'd introduced me to all sorts of people, which I thought was awesome. And there was a lot of story there, but um, he introduced me. I told him, I said, I want to form a band. I really want to form a band. He's like, I got to introduce you to my producer. He also plays drums. And he introduced me to him. His name is Jesse. I still work with him today. I'm still in a band today with him. We've been going for like over a decade strong now. It's oh, uh, wow. Yeah, I mean, you know, talk about a brotherhood in a way. And of course, we mm. are like brothers, you know, we get at each other's throats too. But <laughs> <laughs> but, like, uh, but no, it's great. I even lived with him for three years. That's besides the point. But um, anyway, so he, um, he, when I met him, I told him I have this vision. I really, really want to, you know, a band he had the same vision he wanted to form a band too so he started showing me music that interested him that he wanted to do he was very into like this trip hop thing which was like um um like portishead or like thank you portishead that's exactly the one i was thinking of yeah (laughs) so portishead was kind of an influence but also um the biggest influence the 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 group he showed me was a group called zero seven you ever heard of zero seven uh, no, I haven't. So Zero Seven, very, very cool group from Europe. Um, okay. They also were into like the trip hop genre, touching on, but you're going to like this. The main, they, they, they were like kind of a producer crew or slash instrumental crew that mm-hmm. would invite different lead singers. Oh, so nice. they, they kind of had multiple lead singers, um, not just one necessarily, mm-hmm. into the studio and they would do albums and everything. And their main person was Sia. If you, did, if you know oh, who's cool. Sia. So, yeah. so Sia is, you know, she got birthed into the musical world through, through a band called <laughs> Zero Seven. 
Okay. So um, that was a big influence on us. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. I love I love this music. You know, I love what yeah. they're doing. I'm totally down to do something like this. So him and I got together, the, the drummer, Jesse, that is. We got, we got together, just him and I, and we started jamming just drums and keyboards. And right from day one, there was a cool chemistry. And we said, oh, good, good. We can do this, you know. So we formed a band. We formed a band called End of Ever. And, uh, and like I was saying, I knew I had to have that a part of my California journey, um, a part of my musical journey and, and into LA and California. So yeah, so that's, you know, and that's where it kind of started for me band wise. And, you know, and it hasn't stopped, but as you already know, cause that's kind of how we met, which is great. Um, <laughs> and then also I still, I, I still go for the, the composition side of things too. I, I do compose for film and TV. I've had a lot of different stuff placed on all sorts of, uh, you know, networks, but, but yeah, yeah, so, so that's, uh, you know, that's that probably answers that question. <laughs> oh, well, that's a great story that had all these like interesting side adventures with artists that became popular later, which is oh. so amazing to hear. And I'm just wondering, I know you mentioned this off air or off, um, off the record. Oh. Um, like, how did you get from this band and, into like collaborating and being part of robot nature what can you tell our audience about that oh sure i'll give you the little the little backstory on that so i just mentioned the band end of ever mm-hmm. uh, in that band we had we actually had a few different members but we had a, a female uh front fronted it was a female fronted band and um it was jesse the drummer my and yeah. myself the keyboardist and then this guy named michael michael sklena um he was our bass player um mm-hmm. we also went through a couple of different bass players in that band but he was our our main guy and um our lead singer danny who was her name amazing amazing friend and, and amazing musician talent amazing talent all around she was also she also played music as well as sang and wrote lyrics and everything um but she um she felt like she wanted to go into more musical theater and it just kind of changed a little bit changed some course and go into a different direction maybe settle down a little bit more she did she did get married not long after mm-hmm. uh, yeah. but that last the three of us bass player you know drums and keyboards um we were left without a singer and we were we were kind of left in the in the thought process of do we continue do we you know do we go for something else and we we sat down with our managers um at the time and uh our manager said to us well you know you guys have something that you wouldn't believe how many people are looking for in a city like Los Angeles um, or a place like Los Angeles. And that is, you guys have chemistry, you have background, you have history, and you guys can play music. You guys can sit in, you know, on a lot of different, you know, musical journeys or, you know, aspects, genres. But um, so they said, you know, this doesn't have to be the stopping point. It's up to you, obviously, but it doesn't have to be the stopping point. About a month after that sort of breakup, um, after our lead singer left us, we were introduced by our manager to an individual named Deepak, who is a lead singer of Robot Nature. Um, and I was telling you off camera that we just, you know, hit it off right away. Um, yeah. Tell you how much we hit it off. There's some amazing synchronicity here. Deepak and I found out the very first day we met that we're both from Maryland. We both went to the same college. We were both there at the same time, probably crossed paths in the music musical scene in Maryland, (laughs) not California, in Maryland, you know, and uh, 
you know, you just knew it. You just knew at that point, there's too much synergy, too much serendipity here. Um, why wouldn't we try to, you know, put this together? Why wouldn't we try to make this work? Um, and, I, and I actually said to the guys, because they, they weren't, you know, totally sold on it yet. They, they wanted to know that it was, you know, could be serious. Um, and by the guys, I mean, Jesse and Mikey necessarily. But I had, um, we had met with Deepak. We had a, just a meet and greet um, at Jesse's studio. That very next day, I went over to Deepak's house. He showed me this amazing performance of mm -hmm. him on a looper pedal, and he would be able to just put the whole band together, right? Just a band of one, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. One man band. And he, um, and if you're familiar with like the looping, you know, looper pedal yeah. and how that puts together and everything, um, he would be with his violin, his guitar, and of course his vocals slash beatboxing ability as a uh, instrument. So he would put together, he kind of, you know, put together his songs, if you will, all right in front of me on this with the looper pedal and and be able to just give me a full-on performance and it was just me and him and he and it was and like i was saying before it didn't matter if there's one person out listening or if there's a hundred or thousands people listening you know he played and you could see his passion and it really inspired me and and i really enjoyed the material too you know because he was starting to show me because he's also a producer and he was showing me the material you know, that he was working on even currently and before. And I was like, oh my gosh, we could do this. And I said to the guys, I said, you know, I'm going to roll with Deepak. I think no matter whether you guys want to roll with the not, because <laughs> I could see the vision and I really love it. And, and, you know, but I knew that these guys would be, they wouldn't let it go. There, there was no way they weren't going to be interested. I, at least I felt at the time. Um, <laughs> anyway, so, so we set up a rehearsal within the, within the same week and the, Actually, also, let me, let me go back a little bit. Deepak and I said it, um, we, we got together every day for like three, four, five days straight. Um, and we put together what I said would be very, would, would help us just jump right in. Because I come from a background of programming um, and not like computer programming, but like music programming, which yeah. is, um, you know, making sure backing tracks run accordingly, make sure they're synced in-ear monitors, the whole, the whole deal, even monitor, you know, monitor yourself setting up. I use main stage, uh, if you're familiar with that. And, um, and, and I said, we got to implement your stuff into this program, into this way of doing things. Cause that's what I did in end of ever. So after doing that, we organized everything so we could jump into a rehearsal with the other guys and just be pretty much ready to go. And part of the reason why was we had a gig in two weeks. Oh, whoa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we had never met. We had never performed together. And we had a gig in two weeks. So Why the rush? <laughs> <laughs> Why the rush? I don't, we, you know, you get out of a band, you can probably relate to this, but you get, you get out of a band or you, you have a crossroad in a way and you're like, you don't want to stop. You, you want to, I mean, we were performing on the Hollywood strip and, you know, it was fun. Like, you know, mm. I didn't want that to just go. Oh, just to get out there months. and. Yeah, I wanted to be yeah. right back into it. You know what I mean? And I didn't want okay. a, the starting of a new band to just slow us down, especially if you if you can if you can do do what I was talking about before, because you really you can hit the ground running, and that's what we did. Our first rehearsal, nice. we, we totally hit the ground running. I mean, literally, song number one, it was like we were together for two years already. Mm. Uh, the chemistry was there. It, it, I mean, it actually blew Deepak away. He was like, "This was like a literally a plug and play for us." How could I not take you guys on? Because he was a choice of his too. He didn't just, you know, jump in and say, hey, we're a band now. This was, just to go back a little bit, this was also a project of his. He created a solo project called Robot Nature. Um, and it was a decision 
to make it a band. And I, I mean, and it was a band decision I made because the other guys weren't necessarily, you know, they, they said, should we rename it? Should we re, you know, do the bit? And I know Deepak was very insistent. Like, let's not, we don't need to rename, we don't need to re, um, what's the word? Uh, we don't need to try to reinvent this because this okay. is already working. And if you guys can be convinced of it, you know, let's, let's do it, you know? Um, so it wasn't set in stone, but I think we all kind of knew, I know I knew, I was like, no, I think this is going to be the image. This is the band. This is the name. And my manager told us something I'll never forget too. Um, let me see if I get, I want to get this right. A name does not make the band. The band makes the name. So, or, or you can replace name with brand. Um, yeah, like Huba Stank, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. A lot of people use that as an example. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, anyway, so um, so yeah, so so that you know that sat with us. He said it doesn't matter what you guys call yourself. That was a convincing point for some of the other guys that were kind of on the fence. Should we call it Robot Nature? Um, and I was all on board because I love that vision. I love futurism. I love keyboarding. I love the technology side of things. Mm -hmm. And that was part of the whole image of what we wanted to embrace. So um, so yeah, so we put it together. Um, and and I, I mentioned that we had a gig in two weeks, about two three weeks, um, because our manager who put us together, who introduced us all, he um, and became our you know manager. Of the new group um he had uh he works for cd baby um disc makers and all that mm -hmm. um and they put on like an industry night and he said you guys could perform at the industry night and nice. this could be your debut and we were like we got to do it you know what i mean so we had an immediate goal we knew we had to work hard work fast and it, that really helps you by the way when you're forming a band i don't know you know for those anyone out there inspiring to form a band you know have a have a goal right away you know have an immediate goal to just go for because once yeah. we had that goal we had we knew we had to get it you know and um and we did i mean that first performance that's what really set us off right away um it was it was i mean we got really great crowd response it was actually a decent crowd um even even though it was our first gig because it was an industry night and um they yeah they put it they, they just kind of said you know don't quit you know you know do this you guys got something because it was our we, we announced it as our debut show and everything and um and yeah so it, it just started there and even at that show we already had other gig offers we, we were like oh can you come play this can you come play that <laughs> nice. and, and that got us really busy we you know and i really consider it very very fortunate and i highly highly recommend this to any brand new group take every gig you can free or not and i know that's a hard one because that's a whole other topic in itself you shouldn't yeah. necessarily devalue yourself as an artist but as a new group that is trying to do one, I think really important thing, build a fan base, take every gig, you know, take every gig, embrace every gig, go for every gig, you know what I mean? And we were very lucky. I mean, we must've done a hundred gigs our first year. Maybe it was 80 to hundred gigs nice. our very first year, um, which if you kind of do the math on that, almost two a week, basically. And I think you touched on this, so I'll bring this yeah. from off camera too, but um, you had said, um, uh, that we, you know, you had seen a show and then you, you had seen like us play all of a sudden, but it, it was a post. Yeah. A social media post. And I was like, Hey, I wanted to come see you guys. <laughs> How come you didn't put a Facebook event? Yeah. <laughs> and I really appreciate that actually, Joanne. And my response to that is that we didn't promote every gig because, yeah. because actually we, we kind of said it in two parts. We had two sides of us. 
we had promoted gigs, the gig we had, we had set ourselves to have one gig a month, at least one gig a month that we were promoting. And part of the reason why is that I don't know if you're kind of familiar with the Hollywood scene, but you, you technically are, you sign a contract sometimes that says you cannot take a gig in this area. Yeah. The, it's like a 25 group. mile radius. Cause they don't want you to dilute you, right. uh, your fan base. Right. They, that's yeah. exactly right. And, and so we embrace that, you know, as part of our, our, um, our formula in a way for, for gigging and we would have a promoted gig every month, but that we would have like four five, six, seven other gigs in the given month you know yeah. I mean? that we, we didn't promote for partly that reason. And the other part, it was, you know, we had, um, some, um, um, Oh man, what's the word? <laughs> um, residencies, <laughs> you know, and uh, and and some of those residencies, it was just a weekly thing. You know, we we were we were going to mm -hmm. be there. We we're going to be at Skinny's in North Hollywood every week. And for those that were fans, they knew it. And for those that weren't fans, they were gonna they were gonna basically figure it out because we we did a lot of story posting. That's how you you found out that we had a gig mm -hmm. and we you, you didn't make it because we had posted it as a story. Basically. <laughs> you know, kind yeah. of like a surprise pop up almost. But um, but yeah, no, I mean it, it was fun and we really did hit the ground running. And it was a, the first two years was was amazing for me because I had never been in a band that had so much traction. I mean, there were some other pivotal moments and that really reassured why this band could maybe do something you know so, something kind of came up where earlier you were talking about people were like okay this is this is a good thing don't quit and i find that there's so much growth personal and within the band wise that happens uh, over years and then even before you joined robot nature you and jesse have been together like about 10 years already and so my bandmate and i we've definitely had our disagreements where it was like geez we just didn't even want to like be around each other because that's what happens like you spend a lot of time together and people are people not everyone's gonna agree on the same thing all the time so we have this thing now where it's like when we disagree to a point that we get emotional about it we we go okay let's cool off for a couple of days come back and we just immediately say sorry it doesn't matter whose fault yeah. it was whatever we just say sorry and kind of work it out and then move on and it, it took us a while to get to that point definitely of like relate to finding that. a protocol but if if you have any advice for anyone else who's like in a band or starting a band and or just already in a band and wants to keep things together like uh do you have any thoughts about that <laughs> well yeah you touched on it. i mean they call it a band family you know mm -hmm. it, it really is it's there's two there's two parts of it. you consider it a family or especially in a group in a band setting or you know you guys are um kind of like in a, in a relationship, you know, mm -hmm. that you always, you know, in, in a, when you're in a serious relationship, you, you, you're going to have your differences, you're going to have your disagreements and you got to work through them, you know, and you, you, you said it already. I can totally relate. Um, I mentioned about Jesse, you know, him and I being brothers, basically, you know, we kind of <laughs> look a <little> like, <laughs> but, uh, but with our hair, but, uh, but, um, you know, we, we really, um, what am I going to say? Um, we kind of sometimes even leave things off the table. And sometimes it's not the greatest. You don't want to have it boiled up. But like, we don't even <laughs> sometimes need to say sorry. We just know we're sorry. You know, you're like, you mm. just, you just feel it. You know, it. it's, it's yeah. onto the next thing. You know, you, you had a fight or a disagreement or a tickle, whatever, you know, and, and at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because the next gig's coming and you got to be ready. For it. <laughs> and, uh, and, 
And that's it. And you know, it's important. I mean, you've, we've all heard the amazing, amazing horror stories. I don't know if anyone's out there watching, uh, making, uh, excuse me, breaking the band. Uh, it's a great show. Um, on, I think it's called, um, shoot vice, uh, reels, reels, uh, reels with a Z anyways, uh, great, great show that, that goes into, when they say breaking the band, it's kind of like a pun or a double entendre. It's not breaking the band like how the band got famous. It's breaking the band like breaking up the band and how the oh. band broke up. So, and, and look, every, I swear every band has these stories. Even a lot of people don't realize even Aerosmith broke up, but they had mm-hmm. one of the most amazing comebacks as a group. And not every band does have a comeback, but mm-hmm. but they did. You know what I mean? And when they came back, they got way bigger than they even were before and that's a whole other story but every band has to work through their familyhood you know what i mean their differences you know artistic differences their you know their disagreements on what to do maybe on a promotion point you know standpoint or where they should go next or what gig they should do or not do you know what i mean you know where where we should be focusing our time or not you know so it's always going to be a a constant you know good debate and those are good debates to have because you're going to understand it from multiple views. You know what I mean? You got to have, you know, there's a, there's, there's the advocate and then there's the devil's advocate. So it's like always important to have, you know, a lot of decision-making um, yeah. to get to your goal. Cause you all have that one, you all share that one bond, that one real inner goal. And that yeah. is to get your music out and heard by as many people possible. I, I feel yes. like that's always, well, not maybe always, but certainly an underlying goal of so many. So, yeah, I mean, you know, that's a little bit of the, the advice. Band is a family, you know, you just kind of, you have to work through things, you know. You got to accept kind of what it is, and there are always going to be those differences, so. Yeah, uh, yeah thanks for adding um, all those tips as well. And I kind of going back to, like, at the heart of what we do as musicians and it's, it's community and like even if you do get to your goal but everyone hates each other that's not like a good thing you know it doesn't it kind of like defeats the purpose because music can be healing it can connect people and then on on that thought since you've played so many shows um do you guys have like a pre-show ritual do you guys do anything for self-care okay don't play two nights in a row or whatever it is or don't eat this or whatever. <laughs> not really, not really at all. I mean, not to just <laughs> shut it down, but no, we don't have any rituals. We jump on stage and we're ready to go. We, we, you know, I guess if anything, the ritual is us kind of like individually being in our own setup, in our own zone. We all have a job to do at that beginning. Yeah. I mean, unless you have a lot of time, we've had a couple of gigs where we actually got the time, you got the big sound check. We played on some pretty big stages, very fortunate. You know what I mean? And in those settings, you actually, it's, it's like a whole production crew, you know, it's a whole, it's a whole thing that you get to kind of have time for. But um, anyways, and then there's the gig where you got to jump on stage and you plug and play basically. And yeah. we are not a plug and play band, by the way, <laughs> we kind of got a lot of crap for that uh, um, or slack for that, you know, here and there, because it'd be better if we could set up maybe within 10 minutes, but we were, it really did take us like 15 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes to set up to really get it right because of all the sound check, all, all the things that we had to do. We had a lot of intricacies. We have a lot of intricacies yeah. in our in our group, and it's got to be kind of set up right. 
um, yeah. running things to the sound, the board, you know, back to me and then back, and back to the board. And there's just a lot of different things that have to be set up with our group that it's, it's tough. And then I've got to set up my, you know, I don't have a lot of roadie crew right now, every now and then, but not really no roadie mm-hmm. crew. I'm setting up my keyboards myself. It's double rack. I play with a synthesizer as well as a keyboard that's attached to the main stage where I, I program a lot of my sounds or use other stock sounds that I yeah. reprogram and tweak. Um, but you know, it, it takes, it takes that sort of, you know, time to get it all together, but we're usually yeah. ready to go. I mean, we, we don't have a ritual just because we have a, we have time, you know, we, we just jump on. But every now and then there were the occasional gig where we kind of like got together with the little one for all kind of thing. You know, we oh. got <laughs> I remember yeah. like before Burning Man, we got on the stage, we opened up for the Alan Parsons project. If you right. That. Um, awesome. And Burning Man and like, we knew that was a big gig for us. And as the gig got closer and closer, man, it, it, the night come, comes in, we, we were just at the break of dawn and yeah. it was amazing. Cause as soon as night, have you ever been to Burning Man? And I had never been at the time before that, but as soon as the night time comes, the whole thing is lit up and it just looks like this incredibly, yeah. incredible festival of lights. And I saw and a video. Yeah. The yeah. That is just, it's rewarding. I mean, it was, it looks like there was a million people out there. I mean, I'm not even <laughs> exaggerating. Like you're playing on this stage, but you see in the distance from playing on the stage and whatnot. And it looks like, like a million lights, you know, going off with a lot of different things happening. And mm-hmm. anyway, so we, we kind of had probably a little ritual before that game. We were, you know, all kind of like a one for all kind of thing. I kind of remember, but you know, there's no, there's no, no real like, set ritual we just just... (laughs) i asked because i tried to make like a fun and funny ritual for my bandmate and i we've done this about twice well this is what someone told me when i had this uh, japanese dish called um tonkatsu it's like this 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 piece of pork cutlet or pork chop on rice with japanese a little bit of sauce and curry Mm -hmm. and seasoning on it and so my japanese friend told me that that's what sumo wrestlers eat before a match and i'm like oh okay so like let's have like my bandmate and i try to do that so a couple gigs i try to find a japanese restaurant and he's like oh man joanna where you gotta get me to do all these crazy things and but you, you tried it and you know we had our roadie like eat the tonkatsu too so that way we just have the energy to like set up our gear and you know we don't like to eat too close to the performance um because it makes us like bloated and it's not really good for singers either (laughs) so yeah we did that twice but you know hopefully when things open up we can continue that ritual and you know i'm i'm so glad that you touched up upon kind of setting up and and the live aspect and because i just remembered this this great um, talk that Radiohead had in on K- KROQ on the radio um, they asked Radiohead like okay you have created this album and the sky was a limit uh, these sounds were just so many different crazy sounds how do you guys translate that into your live show and they were just really frank they were just like you know we put on the record we listen to it and we become a radiohead cover band (laughs) i don't so you have three recordings out on spotify and other streaming services right now so what is what is the the process from your recording to the stage how do you guys agree on what's going to be done live oh that's a tough one um well you know what makes it easier for us 
there's maybe one, there's a couple differences, but like a lot of what you do here on the recording is kind of what you can hear live because we are a band that really implements uh, tracks and we play to a click, you know, we play to, we play to a structure, I should say. Um, and that being the case, we, it will, we definitely will sound, let's say like our record, but a lot of people, our fans and, and our manager even, you know, a lot of people will argue, you guys, you know, you guys have a really cool chemistry on stage versus the studio. The studio, sometimes we get into our perfectionist modes. Everything mm -hmm. must be locked in exactly the way it should be. But those mess ups, those like little behind yeah. the beat, the little, the little moments of, you know, Jesse maybe be, being a little behind or more likely me, <laughs> you know, being a little <laughs> behind, you know what I mean? It actually creates this really, really amazing uniqueness, a unique sound that you, you know, that's what makes you special in a, in a very much alive setting. And I think a lot of people kind of refer to us as a, a more of a live band than even a studio band. Hope that kind of evolves through time, but, but um, you know, we, we try to capture that that live sound on our record, but we do so much other additional production. We're our own producers as well as co-producers, but um, but but you know, we, we do so much additionally that that you know it does have some differences, but by the time we're done with the record, we take the record and we make sure we kind of readapt the live show with it. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's sometimes the record helped to kind of evolve or change our live show because we would implement new sounds that we hadn't implemented, you know, when we were playing live on the first time. Maybe some of the fans like this, some may not, I'm not sure, but like, um, but it's cool because it kind of keeps it evolving, you know, it keeps it moving. But, um, but yeah, we, we've, you know, overall, we, we've done a pretty good job of putting things on record. It's just, um, I'd like to, um, embrace that side of the industry a little bit more with this group and i think we're, we're we've got some cool things kind of happening right now that may put us in that that limelight so thinking you know thinking that it could happen that way so we'll see okay. <laughs> we do have more records to be released we have a master that that is arguably our best song that we haven't released yet and i guess i i mean not for excuses sake we were going to release it but then this corona the coronavirus yeah. kind of put a stall on that and we just want to retrace our, our grounds and be ready more when i think the live stream comes back more full effect so yeah well you know we're, we're we're excited we're excited for the future actually yeah i mean you're not alone because a lot of studios are holding off on releasing certain things because they don't want to release something and it's a bust you know i right. completely understand timing is everything and I think we mentioned off air, I was just talking about like how, for example, on, on the show, The Voice, there was a contestant that walked off crying and Gwen Stefani ran after her and she was like, look, like with my band, no doubt, we took 12 years to make it. And I, I had asked, what was one of the hard lessons that you've had to learn regarding the timing of success? So, I mean... I mean, there's a, definitely a saying in, in the music world, it takes 10 years or let's say five to 10 years to make an overnight success. You know, yeah. we've heard that a, a million times. Like you see it all the time in the music industry. I'll, I'll mention like one good example, like Lil Nas. Um, Lil Nas is probably a pretty good example of that because all of a sudden he was a number one pop star. You know, I mean, Lil, Lil Nas X that is, you know, with Old Town Road and, and whatnot. And yeah, he he built a plan and, and it all worked, but he had been working for several years before that. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, he had been working his craft and he was always, you know, 
trying to work up to that overnight success. And I think we all are in some, you know, in some respect, like, and I think, you know, it'll be similar for Robot Nature. I mean, it really dates back before we even became a band, like I said, you know, with, with Deepak kind of having a vision too. So, so it is, you know, it, it's, it's, it definitely takes a lot of hard work and time to build the overnight success and the overnight success is 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 possible and almost happens more likely you know more often than <laughs> not, you know in a way because all of a sudden you're on every radio station in, in the nation when you were struggling to get on you know a few <laughs> so so yeah. I, I i mean it does it definitely it definitely happens um in a way and you had also mentioned to me we, we always have like these um off-air interesting conversations but you know, if you don't mind, and you had said like a mentor had had said had let go of someone who helped, and and then that person who they let go of said, "I'll you the same people you see on your way up." Well, I don't want to ruin the quote, but do you no, want to you can say it. I mean, I'm glad it, I'm, I'm glad it touched a you know like it did for me. It, it did for you. It sounds like I mean, yeah. Basically, you know, it's a it's kind of a simple quote. Um, well, to touch on the story of my manager, mentor, business partner, all the above, uh, he, he you know, I, I definitely consider him a mentor because he tells me some really great stories from his past. And one of those stories is that he, um, he, he, he's been in a couple of signed bands. Um, he's, he's, got, he's signed like three record deals himself, mm -hmm. uh, major record deals. And the first major record deal he signed, he had a good connection, a good um, relationship with their booking agent at the time. And he had said to this booking agent after he got the record deal, he said, hey, I don't need you anymore. We made it. We're, we're you know, we're going on to bigger and better things. And you're just not big enough for us. You know, you're not you're not doing enough for us. Mm. Meanwhile, that that booking agent was a big part of the reason why they even got the record deal in a way, because they were able to, they, you know, the booking agent gave them that fan base platform, you know, uh, the platform to build the fan base in a way. Um, and must have done a couple of things right for even to achieve the record deal. And this was back in like the nineties, but, but anyway, so he, that, that guy, the, the promoter, the uh, booking agent said to him, he said, you know, I, I got to tell you something. I, I understand your cockiness and I understand, you know, why, why you're doing this, but I, I, you know, the same people you see on your way up are often the same people you see on your way down. That's supposed to be a humbling quote that says that's supposed to give a, a person Hey, guess what? You know, it's not just all uphill, you know, from anywhere. You know what I mean? I mean, a lot of a lot of big groups, a lot of big artists say you make it to the top and you finally, you know, get even a number one hit, you know, top 10 is I think what we go for. But even you get a number one hit, you made it to the top of the charts, like literally as big as you can get, as high as you can get the, the number one on the Billboard Hot 100. I think that's about the highest you can get. But you get it. Then the pressure really starts. Because it's not about having achieved it and all the things you did to achieve it and get there and get the, num the hit record. Now you got to stay on the top. Now the pressure is really on, you know, because staying on the top is so much harder than being or getting to the top. Yeah. And it, 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 that's, that expression kind of goes along all with that. So what it really means, though, is that stay humble and don't forget, keep all your, you know, bridges intact. Don't burn them. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. These are important relationships and everybody you meet on the way up, everybody you meet on the sideways, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it. You, yeah. know what I mean? you know what I mean? 
build a strong relationship, embrace it all. And that leads into another really good quote that I, that I, mm. I don't know if you're going to make me bring up as well. Yeah, do it, do I it. I mentioned off there, but I heard this quote kind of recently and it really, it's, it's what I'm going to repeat every time I do anything like this or, and, you know, do mm-hmm. future things and, you know, have conversation, but um, about the music industry, this is so important for artists. You, your fans are not following you you are following your fans. Mm-hmm. And that's been a very important side of things much before the internet, much before, you know, it just dates way back. You are following your fans. What that means is that you, you, you should be engaging with the people that are like us right now. You told me you met me because you, you, you really, you know, you fanned the band and you, you really liked the music. You liked what was going on. And here we are engaging. This is so important. You know what I mean? And the relationships are so important, you know, and I I can't argue that enough. And a lot of people forget when you work your way to the top or keep getting bigger and bigger um, and better opportunities, a lot of people will get, get to their head. And, um, and I, I, I can't say from true experience, you know, exactly, but you know, it gets in their head and, and you don't, and you think you're too cool for school. You know, you think, you know, you don't need these people anymore, but a lot of people lost careers out of that attitude. And Mm. it's, certainly the wrong one you know they, pe- yeah. there has been quite a few artists i'm not going to name them but there have been quite a few artists that have shunned their label in such a way even though their label probably did help them get to the top in a way and um and when you do that you're really burning a relationship because even though they might have helped you get to the top that label that is yeah maybe they own too much of your your worth and maybe there's some disagreements there and whatnot but there's a point where artists get so full of it that that they even go far to say, I don't need I don't need my label, man. My label didn't do anything for me. You know, we don't you know what the label does after that? They not they don't drop you because you're a huge success for them. You're they're making you're making them money. <laughs> they don't drop you. They basically start to blacklist you in a way. They basically start to say, Well, we won't promote your records. We don't care what you want to do in the future. We have control of your career for the next five years. So whatever you, you know, we, you know, we we can choose to release your album or not. That's not your choice. That's our choice. You know, yeah. that happens a lot. And, and I don't want to get into the control of labels and that whole conversation, to be brutally honest. But but I mean, because I love labels. Um, but but at the end of the day, I, I uh, you know, it's interesting. Stay humble, you know keep the relationships alive. You yeah. are following your fans. Um, oh, yeah. That, yeah. It, that story kind of hit with me on on something, you know, I just don't, yeah, believe in kind of using people in any way and anyone who's like helped our band along the way, like we want to get them involved. And yeah. so, yeah, even with our professional relationships, uh, the companies that Abe and I endorse at the heart of it, we have developed relationships with the people behind these products and and we know that they're good people and we're so proud to help their company grow or endorse their products yeah. and, and i like the way you put that by the way. yeah oh yeah and then it's just like uh, i i see on a lot of beginning musician forums like oh how do i get this endorsement deal because it sounds so glamorous like i got signed i got this endorsement deal and it's like no i mean you're you shouldn't try to like reach out to companies to get like free shit you know it's <laughs> there's another way to, to, to you know they a lot of people approach these companies and they see it a mile away what you're trying to do so it's just like you know actually do you have you been using the products for years and 
are you interested in like the technology and building the relationships? You worked uh, professionally building loops, working with people. Uh, what can you say about corporate or just professional relationships well, with artists? I mean, you touched on something I'd love to talk about because one of my mentors, one of, you know, another one of my mentors, you know, he, he says something all the time and he, every person that meets him, every artist, especially that meets him, he will repeat this and, reminds the, the artist that because artists devalue themselves we have a very problem the, the way the music industry is kind of shaped for us in a lot of ways there's a lot of devalue a lot of devaluing going on and part of that is saying that i'm i'm trying I'm, I'm looking for an endorsement i, I want to be endorsed by yamaha no you don't you want to endorse yamaha you're an artist with value and you will help their brand you want to endorse Yamaha, not Yamaha endorsing you. That's what an endorsement is. It's, it's your creativity and using their corporate products, you know what I mean? And you helping them to promote that product in any shape or form. So yes, it is something that you, I think, earn. You know what I mean? I think, I think it's, a, you know, it's like something you kind of build a relationship and ultimately earn. Uh, for example, our Robot Nature, we... Um, Robot Nature and even more exclusively Deepak endorses Roland. Um, definitely one of the ones that, one of the bigger ones that, that, we, that we focus on. And, and Deepak uses a lot of their products. Um, and we're, we're even supposed to play at the NAM stage and all this stuff mm. um, with them. But um, anyways, uh, so, so it's like, you know, I, I, I like to continue that expression of the artist endorses the corporation. And yes, artists needs these artists needs those relationships or these relationships because at the end of the day you want to make as much collaborations as possible and i think corporations uh, like a yamaha or like a, a roland they they are seeking the next us you know what i mean they're constantly seeking artists that are using their products and gear and and yeah. are enjoying it and are creatively enjoying it and using them um so Anyways, yeah, I wanted to throw that in there, but then, yeah, I mean, I, I'm a, yeah. I'm a definitely a, um, a promoter, I guess, if you will, of, of trying to build those kinds of relationships with corporations and, and products and unique ones too, you know, uh, mom and pop brands too, all, all the above. You know, there's a lot of opportunity out there. Um, yeah. I mentioned Nam. Nam is a great opportunity for artists yeah. to engage with so many different um, music works. Um, everything really but uh you know corporations and and products and and you should you know if you get the chance take advantage you know go for it so mm. yeah Th thank you for those additional insights because i i really loved how you talked about how your your mentor and manager was just saying that artists have this tendency to devalue themselves and uh, we actually talked about it in a previous session with Laura Valle the, the singer because mm -hmm. she also does her own ventures in singing and songwriting and doing gigs and we were just talking about okay when you do gigs yeah there, there's certain kind of promotional materials you set aside 
that can be free because you're you're giving them to like important industry people i totally get that but at gigs like don't be shy in terms of selling your cd selling merch purchasing download cards even though it's like such a streaming world nowadays but it's like yeah she was talking about it's like you you have to especially if you hired a roadie or um, extra musicians you got to pay those musicians somehow you know um unless you are you have additional personal resources but and it's also sending a message to people like you are, are are supporting artists and art and yeah so who cares if they don't put cd players in cars anymore you're buying the art you're and and i was just telling her like yeah i mean if you you're at a gig and you see people spending fifty dollars on on booze and drinks and whatever else they can spend ten dollars to buy your album so it shouldn't um, give it away yeah yeah and speaking of that that previous uh, session I had with her, because she's also a vocal coach, she's taught hundreds of students because she's been teaching for like uh, internationally for like 20 years or oh. something. And something that happens often is that parents would come in with their with their student. And I'm sure as a pe- piano teacher, you've had this m- maybe a few times they come in and the parents always like, do they have talent if they don't have talent? I want to find out within a month if they have talent. If they don't, I don't want to spend any more money on lessons. So, Richard, how, in your experience professionally or as a teacher or as your own creative person, how do you define talent? Well, I'm a believer that everyone has talent. I know that's, you know, everyone has different levels maybe of talent or maybe there's different uh, extremities that that are captured early on versus build and develop, you know, with hard work. But I really believe that um, everyone who is willing has talent. I have taught willing. as young as two and as old as 85. You know what I mean? doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, you have talent, you have ability, I believe in it. And I think talent's a funny word in a way because mm-hmm. what it really, you know, I already st- made a blank statement, you know, everyone has talent, everyone has it, you know, we're just, human human beings you know floating in this crazy world that for all we know we're just programs <laughs> you know or in the dream in the dream state constantly I, I don't know but i mean but the bottom line is that you know i think that everyone has value everyone has a, an inner sort of ability and if you're willing to find it search for it work for it you know what i mean work at it then you perhaps will even surprise yourself. Um, from my own self point of view, I remember, like I mentioned before, I always strived, I, I often strived to be like really, you know, as good as I could be in a way, but it really was until I was about, I think 13, 14, or even 15 years old that I felt like I hit like this pivotal moment, this this, this click moment of mm-hmm. things started to like, like I had a couple of friends that I grew up with and they said, man, Rich, you got, you got like really good. And I, and I'm like, Oh, thanks. You know, I'm, I mean, I'm glad you said that, you know, I really appreciate the kind words and I don't want to sound like I'm boasting here. I worked hard for it. I really did. I mean, I, I really, you know, devoted time in for it. And I was, it was, and I am still, and was very passionate about it. So sure. It, it's going to build and everyone can find that, you know, that that's talent. Talent is finding what you love 
finding what you're passionate about. And not everyone does find that. Some people get stuck in a in an endless loop of of like, I don't know, life boredom or 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 I don't want to go as far to say depression in a way, but like, but but like if you believe what I'm like kind of what I'm saying, then then it's basically believing in yourself. Everyone has what I guess this, you know, this this word talent, you know what I mean? It's just it's all it really is to me is a um is finding one's inner passion, I guess, if, if I could put a sort of a definition on it. And that's, I don't know if that helps define it, but that's like what talent is to me. It's finding passion. It's finding, I mean, that's what speaks to people. Like, you know, they, they see that you care, chances are they're gonna care that you care, you know? And so it's not about how good you are, how fast you can move or how, how high a level you can play, even classically rock modern, you know, and so on. It's not even about that, it's about how you express what you are playing, you know? And that, you can express the simplest of forms of music in, in a very passionate way. And people will be like, wow, I never heard it that way. Thank you, you know? So. Beautifully put. No, that was great. I, I love that. Oh my goodness. Uh, and speaking of talent, you yourself are uh, managing another artist, segue into to that. So if you don't mind um, introducing, talking a little bit about that and how, because I, I looked at that person's um, Instagram, I was trying to like find some singing or playing samples, I couldn't find any. So uh, oh, yeah. if you can like let us know about this next act, how and how you evaluated this person's talent, please. Sure. Well, I I, uh, I was very, very blessed to meet this young female um, and she comes from a background in acting. She uh, was a star of a television, call, uh, television show on Nickelodeon called Make It Pop. Her name is Erica Tam. Um, and she, you know, she blew me away. I, I, I was I was introduced to her as a piano teacher um, and she told me, you know, I always ask my students on the very first day, what are some of your goals? What do you want to do with this mm. if you have you know if you do have them um and for her it was i want to be able to accompany myself i, I want to be an artist now uh, a lot of the roles that i played on television they were artist-based roles they were they were i was literally i don't want to use the word faking but i was faking as a pop artist you know i was i was popular on the show i was a, i was a pop artist on the show but in real life you know I actually want to be a pop artist. <laughs> so I was like, um, she's, she plays piano and approached you as a piano teacher. She played or? piano. She played piano. Okay. By she, she'd already figured things out. She'd never taken lessons before. Okay. I, said, you know, I want to, I want to take a couple roads with you. You know, at the time I said, I said, I want a little bit of, of this road. We're not going to go down the road of learning how to read music. And only because she was a little bit older when I met her, she was already in her upper teenage years. And, and I knew what she was trying to do. You know, that's what's mm. important to me as a, from a student standpoint or a teacher student standpoint or relationship. It's important to embrace what the student wants. So yes. for her, I understood what she wanted and I wanted to embrace that. And it goes back to music theory and talent, uh, excuse me, not talent, music theory and the language and, and being able to use that and realize what you like, you know what I mean? Because a lot of times what that music theory will introduce is it'll influence you and make you realize what you actually enjoy putting together. And for her case, it was actually, a, I'm not gonna get, I don't wanna drop too much of a, an educational bomb, but for her case, it was actually when she discovered harmonic minor, 
that was just a mind-opening thing for her. She started writing music in with a little bit of that tone mm. and that, that 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 you know part of the music theory. And I'm so glad because that was that was our goals. But I met her and I said to her right off the bat, I said, "Wow, I am I'm 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 talking to a pop star right. Now. I'm talking to a future, you know, big star right now. You know, and I and I reminded her of that every time I every time I saw her. Um, and I, and I expressed her, I really did want to get involved with her career if she let me, you know what I mean? I wanted to introduce her to my manager who I trusted and, and put, and, you know, put faith in, into um, a career or an artist's career. And I wanted her to understand why it's, you know, why it could be important to even utilize maybe our relationship if I, if you're willing, you know, because she had, she has connections. She come from, you know, TV background and everything like that. She could have probably built some things and gone different directions, but I knew that if she let, you know, let ultimately my partner, Cindy, um, in this, uh, in this project, especially, um, I knew if that she let us, you know, sort of into her life, um, from a professional standpoint, I felt like we could really pave, the way and open up a lot of doors for her and that's what we're doing mm. and and it's been really incredible i mean i would say watch out for erica tam she's going to be a, a name you you recognize and if not already because of some of her background but like she um i think she wants to be recognized for music and her musical talent and ability um or let me restate that her musical passion um mm. and, and that is uh you know i want to help her get there I really, really do, and I'm glad to be working with her. It's 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 really an amazing journey. We're working with some really top guys. I don't want I won't mention names necessarily, but like, um, but there's you know producers, songwriters working with some really, really well established, um, already kind of had hits in their own rights, um, and they love her. And you know, one thing I will say this about about her specifically, even though this is the first artist I've actually taken on as as a managerial role. Um, one thing I can say is that in, in the industry, you get a lot of no's. No, 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 no. Mm. And, and you're looking, you're seeking the yeses. You know what I mean? The people that believe in you, people that can help you or, or offer you, you know, whatever, it is, whatever the yes is. You always start seeking out the yeses. And for her, it's just been a lot of consistent yeses. And we haven't gotten really? a lot of no's. And, and, and I'm excited. I'm really, really am excited to be, you know, to see where that's going to go. We're, we're, we got some plans. So, so yeah. Oh man. Awesome. So I, I guess you're helping facilitate with her putting together the songs and recording them. And is that kind of what's going on right now? Yeah, a little, a little bit of everything, you know, in that way we're helping her find her way. I mean, she's an artist. She gets to make her own decisions. You know, we, we give her that power by all means. Cause like I said, don't, you know, artists have the power they do. Mm -hmm. uh, and we want her to continue to have that. Um, we want to help guide her if any way possible and whatever we can bring to the table help find herself as an artist right now yeah. to create the song she wants to create and put out the song she wants to put out because she hasn't released any music beyond the studio um beyond the studio meaning like a tv production studio there's been a couple things released on under her name but she has never released anything on a solo project or even mm. released anything majorly uh, under a major label and she wants to she she's and she yeah. you know before we just jump right in and you know release something kind of randomly she wanted to find her her thing you know her 
what she what she could be good at. And so we've experimented with different aspects of what we felt right off the bat and what she felt, what she communicated to us right off the bat was um, a good direction to head down towards. Um, and for her, it's it's a little bit of a mix of like, you know, a good, a good example would be like an Ariana Grande, which mm. kind of has a little bit of this urban side, but a little bit, but, but certainly R&B and certainly just, you know, and even going as far as to say a Billie Eilish too, a little bit of that creative side as well, mm. kind of has that in, in her. So yeah, you know, she, you know, we just want to help her uh, continue to pave the way of what she's going to be, you know, what she's going to do uh, creatively and of course, professionally, because she, you know, she knows what it's like to work in the industry in a, in a bit, in kind of a small sense, but, and I mean, small in the musical sense, but in the, of course, the TV film background, she, she has an incredible background with that. And she, uh, she definitely knows what it's like to be professional. She, but like I said, she really impresses the heck out of me, um, <laughs> you know, and, and I, I'm just thrilled to be working with her. So you know that's great it sounds like you know you are coming full circle in terms of someone the way mr staub your piano teacher has nurtured you and your your vision and you're kind of you know paying it forward and doing that with erica you know people can start following her right away um it's uh at erica Tam, um, at E-R-I-K-A-T-H-A-M. And um, yeah, and while we're at it, uh, do you mind um, shouting out uh, your socials for, for you and your, your band and anyone else um, affiliated with you you would like? Sure, I have a product on the side called, uh, I call it ET, ET Midi Pack, or Everything Theory Midi Pack. Got that uh, surname, and then so that's uh, at ET Midi Pack, um, which is on like Instagram and some of the other socials. Um, and then there's uh, ET, um, there's everythingtheory.com for that one. Um, as far as the band goes, we've been talking about it. It's Robot Nature, Everything Robot Nature, at Robot Nature Music, robotnature.com. You can mm. definitely find a lot of cool backstory there um, and check out the band. Um, then as far as uh, the management goes, um, well, I mentioned my partner, Sydney, uh, in that. And we've just mentioned uh, Erica Tam. So you, you already plugged her. And that's, you know, that, that pretty much plugs it all. Yeah. So. All right. Well, I mean, whew, I believe like we had such a great conversation. Beginning, intermediate, even, even advanced musicians are going to get a lot out of this. And I just, you know, Richard, I just want to thank you. Uh, so much for for taking the time to do this. I Thank think you. you know this is this is great. It's going to help a lot of people. Well, I really appreciate you, Joanna. Thanks for having me and everything like that. Of course. Um, and yeah, yeah, appreciate it. Welcome to our surprise segment. Now it's time for a visit from Madame Pepe. Welcome to Tarot Time. You can call to me, Madame Pepe. I am in this place to show you the good fortunes of our guests. Um, what I do, I summon informations combined with cards uh, so that you and our guests can receive learnings. Okay, let's go. Okay, I am going to shuffle now. Uh, now we are looking for some intuitions for Richard Pariser. Okay, Richard, let's see what we can find for you. What is this? Ah, 
Oh, the Knight of Wands. Wow, what a great card. Well, what is that to mean? Uh, what I am looking at here is that there is a knight. He's on a horse. The horse is leaping up and in action. But it looks like the knight is holding the wand and his body is calm. Uh, he is in control okay he's calm he's wearing a yellow cloak which has a salamander on it and a black and yellow salamander is a fire salamander so what this is saying is that you are taking action you have a lot of fire and desire in your heart but you are mature and you are staying calm and you're in control so i very much like this card for you richard it it looks just like you okay so very little people have such talent for playing keyboards, using technology, and uh, using your wisdom and maturity and professionalism. So I want to suggest to you, if you're, you're listening, Richard, is just to keep going and doing what you're doing. And eventually, uh, if you haven't found it yet, that you will hit uh, and reach the prosperity and contentment your heart desires, okay? <laughs> Okay, that's it. Well, I uh, enjoy to bring you uh, good news and fortunes. Thank you very much uh, for visiting Madam Pepe. Okay, that's it. No more. See you soon. Bye now. Robotnature.com Now it's time for our after show. This is where my bandmate, Eber, and I usually talk about the recent episode or any other random happenings in our band. All right. Uh, welcome to the Pepe and Ibra after show. We just did a performance, a virtual performance at USC um, oh, for sorry. the um, APASA Cultural Art Expo. Um, we played a couple songs, Something Unspoken and Secret of Mania Acoustic. Then we got to go into breakout rooms and they served as like little uh, virtual booths where students can pop in, ask a few questions. And we, we had um, a lot of uh, students come in who were very re attentive and respectful. So um, it was overall like good event and kind of, um, you know, what we're able to do in this pandemic. Uh, what do you think of it, Abe? Thought it was cool. Um, Abe had a lot of good things cool. to say, you know, talk about. He talked about his background in music. Um, you know, the, the demographic was... Um, well, it's Asian Pacific American students. That's the association. And so there's a lot of Asian students in there in their early 20s. Um, most of them are undergrad. They're at the time of their life where they have these um, pressures and expectations from parents and society to um, be a certain way um, and and do certain things and get into certain professions. And um did you have any expectations from your dad? No. They've never told me anything on what they wanted me to do or even hinted, you know, study this or do that. Because they knew. I mean, when you're playing drums at fourth grade, and I mean, I was playing good. I could play, like, not like a beginner. I could play. I used to... I used to do assemblies for my elementary school. They would have the whole school go in the, in the auditorium. Yeah. I'd bring my drums in there and jam for them. Just me. Just me. 
So I was able to like do drum solos, all of that, you know? So they just let me roll with the music because they believed in me, you know? And I don't know if I want to get into that. I had some chances when I was really young. You don't even know about it. Mm-hmm. What? Uh, my aunt set up an audition for me to go meet a very, very big Latin guy that was impressed with what he was told about me. And I wouldn't go without the guy that I first started playing music with, the guitar player guy. Mm-hmm. The two-piece band. Yeah, he's the one that got me into music. And I said I wouldn't go with him, without him. My aunt said it has nothing to do with him. It's not for him. And he just wants to hear you play drums. They had a drum set there for me. Yeah. He was somebody really big, I think. I want to say René Toussaint, who was real big at the time. He was like a Tito Tito Puentes kind of guy. And um, I never went. So that could have been an opening for me to actually get connected in music, how sometimes they'll push young kids that can play at a young age and play professional already. And... Maybe get hooked up with something, but I never, I never went. So why did you feel like you were being not loyal to your friend? Yeah, yeah well, to my bandmate, um, he's the one that got me in music, um, and kind of got me started. And I just felt we were a team, and I just didn't feel like going without him. I should have, you know, because, you know. That might have been my break at a very, very young age too. You know, sometimes you only get one break in life. That could have been it. I don't know. I've had other things I didn't do. You know, I told you about the motels. Mm -hmm. Soundgarden. The motels, I spoke with Martha Davis on the phone. And she told me she's got a new kind of music she's coming out with called New Wave. I'm like. (laughs) <laughs> and at the time, I was playing with John Nelson, former guitarist of Eddie Money, and I'm thinking, like, this guy's already been big. Why would I want to quit? And John is really crazy. John, I don't know if I told you that. John used to date her. He knew her. Mm. He even told me, Abe, it's cool with me, man. Mm-hmm. Go check it out. She's really good. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, man, I want to stick with you because I like his songs. John wrote a lot like Eddie Money. I wouldn't even doubt if Eddie, you know, used some of his songs. Mm. And he sang really good. He could sing like Eddie Money, kind of like, you know, it was in that bag. And um, I never went, Mm. which was a huge mistake because if I would have made the audition, um, I loved the motels. I just loved the motels. And they made it. Eight months later, there used to be a magazine called The Bam. I don't know if you ever remember that, Mm-mm. The Bam. It was huge. It's kind of like Rolling Stone or something. It was a music magazine. And eight months later, I see this big full-page thing, The Motels and whatever their hit was. I forgot their first hit. Um, was it Only the Lonely? No, or? it was another one before. Okay. Only the Lonely was the one I really love. I just yeah. adore that song. Um, but anyway... I could have kicked myself in the ass a hundred times for that one. Yeah. 
And the thing with John Nelson fell apart because he's the one that I went in the studio. He loved the way I played drums. He even brought Eddie Money's bass player to jam with me. And I heard them talking, what do you think of this kid? The bass player said, this kid can play, man. He's got a lot of heart, a lot of feel. You're doing good with him, you know? Stick with him. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, all right, I'm in with John Nelson. Then he took me in the studio. I thought we were going to play live. And here he's got this pre-recorded music all done to a click and i had never played with a click mm. and i just couldn't do it yeah they tried and they tried finally the producer is some famous dude he goes hey man i know he's a good drummer i heard him warm up you know when they mic you up you warm up yeah but you you know he can't he can't do this recording session it needs to be someone that can play to the click yeah and john just apologized to him and Told me, sorry, Abe, you know, it didn't work. And then, actually, he lost interest in me after that. Mm -hmm. I guess he thought I wasn't a good enough professional yet. Even though I had chops, I wasn't, you know, rounded off enough to pull that one off. And, man, yeah. did I, I came home. I think I bought the Alesis because I knew it had pre-recorded music and it had blues jazz funk rock all this different kind of stuff with no drums all done to a click and i locked myself in this room and at first i couldn't do it and i kept listening to the songs practicing before you know it. i think it took two weeks mm -hmm. not every day but i did it a lot and in two weeks boom i had it down and then I was able to do it, but John Nelson moved on. You know, um, you know that's that's a shame because playing to a click, while it's applicable, if you want to be a studio session musician as a profession, that's absolutely vital. Being able to play with a click, however, in terms of being an overall good performer, when you perform live, no, I... some. Some people play with backing tracks, so you kind of do need to have that uh, steady meter um, and be able to do that. But for the most part, if you're playing rock music that has the ebb, those ebbs and flows, that has changes, you know, you probably don't need to oh, learn sorry. how to, it's okay, uh, play to a click. Um, and so I, it, it just seemed a little unfortunate um, and they should have kind of gave you a heads up. Yeah, be like, I didn't called know. you, you know, a couple weeks ahead and just yeah. be like, hey, man, by yeah. the way, you know, we, we play to, he plays on with backing tracks live, you know, I'll play the click. And then you would have at least saved some face uh, trying to prepare, you know, um, so that, the, you know, in those kind of situations, it's all about preparation. And, or you can also have called and been like, you know, are you playing to a click? I mean, no, you... I didn't even you want to know something. What? I didn't even think of it because I was still pretty young and I had no clue. Really, I've heard of a metronome, but I had no clue about stuff like that. And I had no clue. I don't know why John didn't tell me that there was some pre-recorded music. Mm -hmm. um, I guess they didn't like the drummer. What yeah. they did is they took him out mm -hmm. and they wanted me to play on it. Now, it's funny kind of just throw this in once i learned how to do it i got hired 
to do that once, that exact thing, and I nailed it. <laughs> I nailed it. Awesome. But I was prepared. Yeah. You know, I mean, I was told, okay, you know, we didn't like the drum tracks, but it's all pre-recorded with the other instruments with a click track. You have to be right on with it. I said, bring it, man. Let's do it. And I, sure enough, you know, I record kind of, I like to record quick. I don't like to sit there and do yeah. a gazillion because I lose my mojo, my vibe when I do that. Mm -hmm. it, it's got to be one, two, or three takes for me to have my groove, my my feel. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, everyone's different. When I do vocals, I've learned that. Per song, per session, I max out at five takes. Ooh. And um, after that, it's just um, not even worth it to keep going, you know, because then you just sound Five's worse. Five's even a lot for me. If we're not yeah. punching in, if we're punching in, it's okay. Yeah. No, I, I like to start from the top oh, um, or from a certain section. It, it depends, you know. Um, I know a lot of professional recordings they uh, comp the courses, they copy paste the courses among all the courses, you know, take course one and uh, they make yeah. it all the same and they put it to the second course and the third course. But, um, you know, it, it depends. Um, but, yeah, you said you had another audition story you want to well, share. Then later on in life, it's just another break that I never even tried. I was in another band. Uh, that I wanted to be faithful to, but I think it was in the recycler. I saw an ad from Soundgarden. I didn't, I hadn't, they weren't famous. I didn't know who they were. They were called Soundgarden by then? Pretty sure. Yeah. Pretty sure. Yeah, because how else would I know? Yeah, it yeah. was Soundgarden. And they were telling me they're from Washington or Seattle or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And... I made the audition. I think I spoke to the lead vocalist. What's his name? Chris Cornell. Yeah. And I made the audition. Of course, I didn't tell my band. And did, um, did you play? No. Oh, okay. No, because what happened is, you know me, my mm -hmm. inner me started feeling guilty. Like, oh, you're, <laughs> you're two-timing your band. You're not being loyal. Mm. And I'm like, ah, okay. You know, and... um. I knew that's when I knew Eddie Gomez, that guy that yeah. I know that's been in the business. Mm -hmm. He knew about so he goes, "Hey man, they're a good band." He goes, "You should check it out, Abe. You should go." Yeah. And I go, "Yeah, but I want to be loyal." I was in a band called Fortress of Solitude, FOS. I wanted to be loyal to them, which was another mistake. <laughs> and so I called off the audition. This is funny. And then I had second thoughts. A week later, I call him up again, and um, and uh, Chris Cornell is just that same dude, man, that canceled out on us. <laughs> and he was, I think, talking to the guitar player guy, the one with the big beard, because mm -hmm. I kind of know his voice too. Yeah. And he said, <laughs> "Well, hope you don't flake out again on us." <laughs> and I, uh, he told me, and I go, "No, man, I'm I'm gonna show up this time. Mm -hmm. You sure? You sure you're not gonna be telling me all this stuff about?" <laughs> Your other band, I go, no, man. <laughs> and sure enough, there I go again. <laughs> and then he goes, it's that dude again. It's a he goes, hey, man, I'm going to let you go. You don't, you're wasting our time. <laughs> I go, okay, man. And that was it. And the same thing. Yeah. I think it was the BAM, the same thing. 
There was this huge article about them. I forgot what their first hit was. It was like this um, really hard rock uh, song. Was it Spoon Man? I no, no, it, it was a real hard rock, um, like Black Sabbath kind of song. Uh, it was a really good song. And both of those bands, my drumming style would have fit really good with them because it's all about style. Yeah. You know, it's not like how good you are. It's like your style vibes with them and your personality does. Um, you know, you got a good chance of making it. Yeah. And um, did you find the song? Oh, no, I wasn't looking I for that. I think it's Bad Motor or something. Okay. Um, I'll look it up. Yeah, look it up. Bad Motor something. It was a hard, like a black, a lot, lot black Sabbath. With First Soundgarden hit. We'll see. <laughs> Hunted Down. Here's a summary from Wikipedia. Uh, okay, anyways, shut up. Okay. I didn't think, I didn't remember that song. I thought All it right. was Bad Motor or something. Yeah. Give me a don't, 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 It's real, real heavy like that. <laughs> that that's a funny um, story. Uh, <laughs> yeah, funny for like an idiot like me that <laughs> missed two opportunities. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think you're just very, you have a conscience. Yeah. You don't, you have this thing where you don't want to abandon people. Um, and, and that's that's a good thing. Loyalty, um, not, not a lot of people are loyal, you know. So it's, it's good to have that. So that about wraps it up uh, for this after show of Pepe and Ibra. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to listen and choosing our podcast. It really means a lot. If you enjoy this, subscribe on YouTube, give it five stars, and leave a good review on Apple Podcast. Support us on Patreon and connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For those of you who are also following our band, Glass Spirits, check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash Glass Spirits. On our next episode, we're going to have singer-songwriter and vocal coach Laura S. Valle. She talks about her experience as an international musician, being a vocal coach for hundreds of students, and will even have a snippet of her teaching style. It's going to be a great episode, so definitely stay tuned to check it out. Again, please rate and review our podcast. And if you want to keep our podcast, Pepe and Ibra, going, or support our band, Glass Spirits, please join our Patreon. For just $5, $3, or even $1 a month, you can help keep us afloat. Our band name, Glass Spirits, is one word, spelled G-L-A-S-S-P-I-R-I-T-S. The music you hear on this episode is our podcast theme song. It's an original song by our band, Glass Spirits, called Something Unspoken. You can download Something Unspoken from all major retailers or stream it on Spotify. Now, I'll leave you to enjoy the rest of our song, Something Unspoken. Again, thanks for tuning in, and see you next time on Pepe and Ibra. Mm-hmm.